chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Would you stand with me as we honor God by standing and reading his word together? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith through love. You were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Father, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord. Lord, we claim, Jeremiah 33.3, that if we call to you, you will show us great and mighty things, things that we do not yet know. And Lord, we come expecting. We want to hear from your word and be changed by it. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to know more of your goodness and your glory. Lord, thank you that, um, that you know us. And you love us and you've, you've saved us, Lord. I pray you minister this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, the best seat in the house is the front row. And, and especially at church. And, and it's because you can hear everybody praising the Lord behind you. And it's like you're getting washed. As we sing, you know, the, one of the best things about worship is it, it, it forces truth to come out of your mouth. <laughs> that it's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's about what he has already done. And when you're in the front row, you're just getting washed in that truth of what Jesus has done. It's not about what you can do anymore. That's what we're looking at this morning is, is the temptation that we all face is, is uh, even though this is written to believers, this book of Galatians and, and this passage of Scripture, the temptation for us is that we stop looking at what Jesus has already done for us and we start asking, because we all have that question, we ask, Lord, what can I do? What can I do, Lord? And really the goal and the focus and the, the, <laughs> the whole point is what Jesus has already done. Um, this passage was very difficult for me to to study through because, I mean, since I was a little kid, I've struggled with what I can do. I, I was a good kid growing up because I didn't want to be told I was wrong. 
I never, I mean, oh, this is the worst thing you could do to little Caleb was tell him how he was wrong. And so I, I learned the rules and I obeyed the rules. And I, I tried to make sure I kept my nose as clean as possible so that nobody, especially my parents, could tell me I was wrong. Um, I tried to do it right. And as I studied through this passage, you know, the whole point of this teaching is it's, it's, what, it's about what Jesus has done, except the problem is, is I'm studying not to communicate that truth, but I'm studying so that all of you think I've done a good job. That same struggle, that, that need for man's approval, the need for the approval of, you know, my parents, of uh, my pastors, of just, you know, teachers, whoever. And so it's, it's kind of wrecked me. <laughs> um, but with that introduction, uh, let's get going into Galatians chapter 5, verses, verse 1 through 15. Verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. It is done. It's the fact. It is the reality that Jesus has set you free. You are in the club. You have made it. Ephesians tells us that you are seated in the heavenlies. It's a done deal. Congratulations. You've made it. And as Christians, that's how we're to live. And if we could just get a hold of that, we would stop with the insecurities and the need for man's approval. And, and we are so prone to doing this as Christians, going back to slavery. So our freedom is by Jesus, and it's also in Jesus. It's not freedom like America at all. I mean, I know you guys have heard the, um, the analogy of Freedom for a fish is to dwell in the water. Take a fish and throw him off on land, he's not free anymore. But that's kind of the idea of American freedom. You know, well, if, if, if I'm really free, then I can go on land if I want. I know I can't breathe. It's all right. It's freedom. <laughs> and that's how Americans think of freedom. It's freedom to do what I want, when I want. And we throw in the caveat of as long as nobody's getting hurt. I, I like this story to depict American freedom, and I'm contrasting it with freedom in Jesus. Reynold III, a 14th century duke, was in, which, in what is now Belgium. Grossly overweight, Reynold was commonly, commonly called by his Latin nickname, Carsis, which means fat. After a violent quarrel, Reynold's younger brother, Edward, led a successful revolt against him. Edward captured Reynold, but did not kill him. Instead, he built a room around Reynold in the Newark castle and promised him he could regain his title and property as soon as he was able to leave the room. This would not have been difficult for most people since the room had several windows and a door of near normal size, and none was locked or barred. The problem was Reynold's size. To regain his freedom, he needed to lose weight, but Edward knew his, knew his older brother, and each day, he sent a variety of delicious foods into, food into his room. Instead of dieting his way out of prison, Reynold grew fatter. When Duke Edward was accused of cruelty, he had already answered, he had a ready answer. My brother is not a prisoner. He may leave whenever he so wills. Reynold stayed in that room for 10 years and wasn't released until after Edward died in battle. By then, his health was so ruined he died within a year, a prisoner of his own appetite. That is the unregenerated person. That's, that's the slave to sin. 
You know, I mean, that's like, that's so, like, that, I mean, only a little brother could come up with something like that. That's sick. I'm an oldest brother. We would never do such a thing. We'll eat ourselves into slavery, though. <laughs> um, that's so Satan. The, the, yeah, you can leave whenever you want. We can't. We're a slave to our appetite. But Jesus came and has set us free, and no longer are we slaves to sin. And so it's like, God did some surgery. You lost all the weight. You're free from that appetite. And it's like we're so prone to walking back into that room and start eating the delicious food again. So we are as Christians, we're free from our slave to appetite, from uh, food, from sex, from entertainment. But we're also free from our appetite of approval, from performance, from being a quote-unquote good person from being a quote-unquote moral person. We are free from the law of Moses. And that's what he's going to say in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. So he uses the word circumcision to encapsulate the whole law of Moses. But circumcision was kind of like one of the hot topic issues. That's what the the Judaizers are coming in with this lie. Hey, you're not circumcised? You can't be saved. And they were all concerned about what was going on the exterior of the person. What's going on on the outside? How are you performing? How do you look? Are Are you measuring up to man's approval? And, and they're trying to put this slavery back onto these believers, these Galatians. And Paul, very tongue-in-cheek, he, he's all, look, if you're making it all about cutting this thing off, you're cut off from Christ. And it's, I thought it was humorous. Um, Paul's just not holding back. He's like, yeah, you want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. You know, Jesse said last week, you know, verse 3, it says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. He is obligated to keep the whole law. Jesse said last week, there's two ways to, to heaven. One was obeying the law, which we're not capable of. The other is Jesus. He's our only hope. It says, you are severed from Christ. If, if you make your hope, your goal, approval, and performance. It, uh, Lewis, C.S. Lewis kind of likens this... Um, you know, before we are Christians, we are trying to climb a mountain. The mountain of success, the mountain of approval, the mountain of morality. Uh, and now as Christians, we're flyers. It's not about climbing anymore. It's about flying. The problem is, is even in preparing for this study, I want you all to think I'm a really good mountain climber. <laughs> even though I'm supposed to be telling you how to fly, I'm really concerned that you think I'm good at climbing mountains. I'm very moral. I want your approval. He says in verse 4, you have fallen from grace. We use that term in the opposite way. When a politician has a scandal, he's fallen from grace. But Paul's, it's like the exact opposite. If, uh, if you're all about just morality and living the perfect life, looking good on the outside, you've fallen from grace. It's sinners that fall into grace. Sinners who've placed their hope in Jesus Christ and him alone, not their performance, not morality. We're to ascend higher and above morality. Morality gets swallowed up in the person of Jesus. It 
um, the two thieves on the cross depict this idea really well. They're, they are right, the thieves on the cross, they are right next to Jesus. They're with him. They look exactly like him. They're all beat up. They're nailed to a cross too. So they're in the same place. They are doing the same thing and they look the exact same. But the exterior doesn't matter at all because one of them is mocking Jesus saying, if you're the Christ, then save us. The other, the other thief, he says, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. It's amazing because he's already able to see where Jesus is going. He knows that you're going to your kingdom. He can see that. And he says, when you're there, remember me. His view, his gaze, his goal, where his, his focus is on is beyond this world already. He's already like flying in a sense. He's not looking at a mountain. He's not trying to climb anymore. He's looking at something that is so far and beyond that something that he can attain. He's like, please remember me. He's, he's crying out for a relationship with Jesus. And that's what we're to do as Christians. Remember me, Jesus. I think of like Samson. In between the pillars, remember me, Lord. That's all he says. He's even like, he doesn't go through the laundry list of all the things he did wrong. He says, Lord, remember me. It's about the heart. It's about our relationship with him. It's about, it's about what Jesus has done, not what you can do. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That thief on the cross, he was already looking there. I mean, we look back on the cross as a done deal. He was looking forward on the cross <laughs> to what will be. I mean, that's amazing to me, that, that he could see that. And we look forward to what God's going to do in heaven the righteousness that we will have. We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That word hope is, it, it, the English word is pathetic in comparison to the Greek word. It's, it's fixed, it's firm, it's a sure fact, this hope that we have in this righteousness. Um, C.S. Lewis likens us unto rabbits. He says we're like rabbits, darting back and forth, super scared and worried about how we're doing, what's going on around us. He says this though, he says, we are to be remade all the rabbit in us to disappear. The worried, conscientious, ethical rabbit, as well as the cowardly and sensual rabbit. That's us. Oversexed, cowardly, conscientious, ethical. He says, we shall bleed and squeal as the handfuls of fur come out. And then, surprisingly, we shall find underneath it all a thing we have never yet imagined. A real man. An ageless God. A son of God. Strong, radiant, wise, beautiful, and drenched in joy. That's that hope of righteousness. And, and at, like that thief on the cross, that's what we're to look forward to. We're to stop looking around this earth and stop, you know, we, we phrase the question all wrong. We, we start off with the wrong question. We always say, what do I need to do? And that's the wrong question. It's what has Jesus already done? That's what it's about. Corey Tim Boom, who is my favorite female role model. Um, she said, it's not trying, it's trusting, it's not doing, it's already done. I love that. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything 
but only faith working through love. Again, it doesn't matter that each of those thieves look like Jesus, are in the same place, and are doing the same thing. It's faith working through love. Faith that, I believe you're good, Jesus. I believe you're better. And I love you. That relationship, remember me. I like the ESV, uh, the NIV. It translates it, faith expressing itself through love. You were running well, verse 7. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Again, it's, you know, what's the truth? What's the reality? It's that Jesus has already died. He has already paid the debt. You are saved. You've made it. That's the truth. Who hindered you from obeying that truth? From resting in that place? This persuasion, it's not from God. It didn't come from him. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This is a sneaky thing. It, it... Peter, in chapter 2, verse 11, you know, Paul says, I withstood Peter, even Peter to his face. You know, Peter's the guy who walked on water, denied Jesus, got, you know, um, reconnected with Jesus, repented. He is the stone, the rock in which the church is built on. And he was, de- he was deceived. He was falling into this. Paul had to say, hey, man, you're making it about what you can do, not what Jesus has done. Knock it off. It's not cool. And it's sneaky. It, it creeps into our lives. And I think one of the um, ways I can clearly, more clearly see this is when I look at my kids. I've got three little kids. And um, if they acted like Judaizers, if their behavior was all good and perfect, I'd think, doing a good job. That's right. <laughs> And I would think, like, man, like, they're great. They're great kids. If I was, you know, just if they behave that way, they don't, but. I mean, how concerned am I as a parent about just their behavior? Versus how concerned am I about their heart with Jesus? Are they looking to him? Is there hope in heaven? Is there hope in Jesus? Remember me. It's sneaky. Um, The idea of a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's, uh, you know, when you have sourdough and you make a, uh, a starter. You take a little bit of that old starter and you put it in the new lump. It's a little bit of the old life into the new life. It's, it, Jesus warned the disciples about this. He says, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's sneaky, guys. Watch out. I liked, uh, you know, the question, the disciple, you know, Jesse kind of, brought out that picture of the disciples at the last table. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And all the disciples, except for Judas, say, is it me, Lord? Is it me? And that's, that's when, you know, with this kind of a thing, with this sneaky sin, you know, it, it's the, definitely something you want to offer up. Before, Lord, am I becoming a Judaizer? Am I becoming more concerned about what I can do versus what you've already done? It's a question we need to continually ask ourselves and examine and and offer that before the Lord. Ask the Lord. Talk to him about. And then, you know, the New Testament's interesting how Paul is constantly warning Christians how, and, and telling us how to be Christians. And then in verse 10, he's also assuring them. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. I have confidence in the Lord. Um, Psalms 23 is a favorite for everybody. 
But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That word follow is not just like we get this nice little picture of God who's following his little Christians around, and here's some goodness and mercy, guys. It's not that at all. This word goodness, uh, this word follow is radaf, and it means to pursue, to, to pursue, to put to flight, to chase like a dog, attend closely upon, to persecute, to harass, to follow after, to aim to secure, to run after, to bribe. That is how God follows you with goodness and mercy. Um, he's going to harass you with it. He's going to harass you <laughs> until you see that he is better and he is good. John Piper, when he was a young man in seminary, a professor of his put it this way. He said, God is a policeman in a car with the lights blazing, sirens going, chasing you through the city. And in the back of his trunk, it's not the evidence of your guilt, but it is goodness and mercy. He is going to harass you. God keeps Christians Christians. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. John Piper said, if that's true, as a young man, he said, if that's true, that will be the reason I stay a Christian to the day I die. And he's 73 years old, and he says it's true. That God chases after you with goodness and mercy. There are times when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We walked there. And it only, it only draws us closer into a relationship. See, before that point, he's talking about the Lord, but after he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, you. He starts talking to the Lord. There's a nearness Verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. The part of the lie that the Judaizers were using was that <laughs> Paul agrees with us. You've got to follow the law. You've got to be circumcised. And he's like, if that's true, then why are they trying to kill me? <laughs> why are they hunting me down? I'm getting a, you know, this is not, yeah, that would be frustrating. Um, in that case, the offense of the cross is removed. Back to verse 11. The, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. The offense of the cross is your good goals are not enough. So maybe you've fallen um, prey, you're a slave to your appetite, to sex, to uh, entertainment, to food, whatever. But maybe you have fallen back into slavery to approval of men to the need to be a good father, the need to be a good mother, maybe that's become your ultimate thing. That's not enough. It's not what it's about, and that's offensive to us. Wait, how can, how can this really good thing be wrong? See, as a, a child, like I, I was saying, this has been a really hard thing for me to study because as a kid, I, oh, I wanted the approval of everyone around me, but especially my parents. And I actually... I was 26 years old before I was really able to let that go to a, a significant degree. 
And, and you know why it was so hard? Because I have very good parents. They're godly. They love the Lord. And I use that as an excuse. Hey, they're good parents. They're godly. Of course I want their approval. And the Lord's like, it's an idol in your life. You're a slave to it. It was a very painful thing for me to let go of. Painful for them too, my poor parents. Because <laughs> I kind of like, I was a bit of a jerk through the whole process of, hey, I, I don't want to go down. This is a big rabbit trail and I don't want to go there. <laughs> The offense of the cross has been removed. The cross needs to be either offensive or your boast, one or the other. If you are offended by the cross, that's okay. It's supposed to be offensive. You're on the right track. But if it's not offensive to you, it better be your boast. That it's not about me, it's about what Jesus has done. That's why the front seat's so good. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul isn't writing this. He's dictating to somebody. And from what we can tell of Paul, there's no way he was just kind of like, I wish those who unsettle you, I wish that they would emasculate themselves. I imagine him fuming and even like a little frothy, pacing back and forth in a candlelit room. And those guys who would unsettle you, I wish they would emasculate themselves. And the NIV, it says, I wish they'd go the whole way, cut the whole thing off. And he's expressing how vehement and passionate he is about this. How, oh, why would you go back to slavery? Oh, I wish they would, oh, those liars. But he's also saying, I wish they would stop producing, reproducing. No more Judaizers. No more of this lie. I want them to be cut off. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Um, in first reading of this passage, it's a little like, well, okay, it's not about circumcision. It's not about the law. It's not about morality and performance. Love one another. Don't bite and devour one another. That seems like an awkward transition. It's not. And I can demonstrate it very well. Because <laughs> in studying this passage, I got wrecked. Um, Jesse gave it to me, and I started reading it. And within the, this is like three weeks ago, and the first week I read it, I, I got in a big fight with my wife. <laughs> and again, I am, I struggle with the sin of a Judaizer, of always needing to be right, making it about more morality and performance, and doing everything right. I always have to be right. And you know what's really bad? Usually I am. No, no, no. It's, I know it sounds funny, like, oh, ha, ha, that's funny. No, 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 it, it just feeds that bondage and slavery. All you firstborns in the room know what I'm talking about. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm fighting with my wife, and it gets to the point where I'm the emotional one in the relationship. She's steady Eddie. And it gets to the point where I'm like, you don't understand what I'm saying. You don't want to understand me. We're done. I don't want to talk about this anymore. And I'm sitting on my couch, and she just kind of quietly gets up. I think a tear is rolling down her eye at this point. She walks to the uh, kitchen, and she starts getting a glass of water. Well, I didn't think she was getting a glass of water. I don't know why I thought this. But she I hear the water start running, and I, I had this idea. I'm like, she's getting a bowl of water, and she's going to wash my feet. <laughs> now, I wasn't like, oh, that's 
That's right. It wasn't that at all. I was like convicted by that. I was even a little like, oh gosh, how dare you bring feet washing into this? <laughs> like, I'm mad. <laughs> and um, she was just getting a glass of water and went back to the bedroom. <laughs> but at that moment, it was like the Lord just started talking to me because I had been reading this passage of scripture. And, and it was like the Lord was saying, yeah, you're right. But were you Jesus? And that's where it really comes down to. Because, you know, for, for us who really struggle with always having to be right, it's like, so what? So what you were right? Were you Jesus? Were you like him? And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the calling. It's, oh man, morality is a mountain which we're trying to climb, but we are supposed to be flyers. And that is something that is so far and beyond what we can do. Being Jesus is, and being free in Jesus, it's free to be Jesus. So the Lord's like, I want you to wash her feet. And not out of a sense of, it's a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It was, you need to be Jesus to her. You need to be me. That's your calling. It's not to be right. It's to be me. And I, so I'm wrestling with the Lord, and I, I, it's like 10 minutes, 15 minutes of this. And I get the bowl of water, it's like hot water, and I got a, a towel over my shoulder, and I'm standing at the door of our bedroom. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> oh, I'm just wrestling, I'm fighting my flesh. It's just like, oh, it's just, I don't want to know. And the Lord, I can't tell you, like, it was a, it was a real amazing moment for me because it, it wasn't, again, it wasn't at all this idea of, this is a good thing to do, you should do it. It was like Jesus was talking to me, and he was saying, you will do this because I already did. I mean, that was amazing because it's just like, it's everything I've been saying. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. And it's just like the idea of like Jesus watching Judas's feet and Peter's feet and all those guys. It's like, you are going to do this, Caleb. It's a fact because I already did. I mean, that was an amazing thing. It was just like, I, just a total sense of God's spirit moving through me. Galatians 2.20, that's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, that was just, okay, here we go. And I just can't tell you how amazing that was to walk in the room and she sees the bowl and the towel and she instantly knows what's, what, what's going on. And as I'm washing her feet, I'm just praying for forgiveness. I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry that I've made it about me being right and not about being like you. And, and you're the calling. You're the goal the person of Jesus. And so, you know, it's like that's, that's the, where that biting and devouring can come into play. If you always have to be right, you will bite and devour the people around you. I was trying to think of a good ask for this passage. I love how Jesse does that, how he does a, an ask. I think the best way that you can communicate to someone else that it's not about performance and it's not about approval, it's not about the law of Moses, is by asking someone else for forgiveness. And I was thinking, man, like, that's what our kids need to hear from us. Our kids need to hear us ask them for forgiveness, to show them that we're not God, we're not the ultimate, and to show them that Jesus, it's about what he did on the cross. That's why, you know, forgiveness is even an option. It's not about what you can do. And so I think if I have an ask, it's, it's ask someone who's beneath you 
whether an employee, a child, somebody you're discipling, mentoring, someone who's beneath you for forgiveness. And it's not, you got to be careful because you're not supposed to do this out of a place of doing the right thing. You're doing it out of love. You're doing it out of, <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm assuming that you all need to ask for forgiveness for something. <laughs> but if you don't right now, you probably will tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, I will. Um, but that is an amazing way that we can communicate to one another that it's about grace. To ask for someone else for forgiveness, especially somebody who's beneath you. Um, that's my ask. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he has already done. And there's this hope and this assurance of you will do it. You will because of what he has done. It's not trying It's trusting, it's not doing, it's already done. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry that we're so prone to make it about what we can do. We even ask the wrong question, Lord, what do I do? And Lord, I pray that you cause us to be overwhelmed and consumed by your cross and what you've done. Lord, and from that place of enjoying your salvation, that we would interact with each other from that place, Lord. We would love each other. We would use our freedom as an opportunity to serve one another. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd work this truth deep into our hearts. Protect us and, um, Lord, purge the leaven of the Pharisees, Lord. That I pray that you would, you would draw this out of us, Father. We ask for these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hey, friends, will you stand with us?